Thanks for taking the time to listen to our latest content here on the Blood Red channel. Guy here with just a quick message. Do you want the very latest Liverpool FC news directly into your inbox? Well then sign up to our daily LFC newsletter, which will bring you the breaking news and big events from around Anfield. To subscribe, just go to bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash LFC newsletter. Or click the link in the description of this podcast and pop in your email address. It really is that simple. That link once more bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. Well, thanks for your time and on with the podcast. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. We know that this club is the mix. Um, of atmosphere, emotion, desire, and football quality. It was it was it was a special special night. One that probably won't be beaten again. We we said to each other we'll fight right until the end and give everything, and we managed to do that tonight. And thankfully we managed to score four and keep a clean sheet. Liverpool and the European Cup. Twice in Rome, London, Paris and Istanbul. In July 2019, the Reds added Madrid to that famous list as they won number six. But the story of how they got there is one of biblical proportion. Standing between Jurgen Klopp's side and a place in the Madrid final were not only a Barcelona side consisting of such names as Messi, Suarez, Busquets and Piquet, but a three-goal deficit that would have to be overturned without the benefit of an away goal. Coming up a year on from Anfield's greatest night, we bring you the inside story from the fans. I wasn't going to go. I had the day booked off work because I was going to go for a bite to eat with my friends, uh, go for a few pints and then go to the game. I cancelled my day off work. When the full-time whistle blew, they couldn't get off the pitch quick enough and everyone could just see them for miles. They were, you know, they were shining like stars, but they hadn't, they hadn't shone that night. The press box... Klopp said this several times and he said, you know, he said afterwards, we would never have won this game had there been nobody inside the stadium. The voice of Anfield. Such would, I like to think, I've been professional, but at that point, I really was, you know, stepping up the couple of decibels. I was, I just couldn't believe what I was watching then. And of course, the heroes who made it all happen. Anything's possible, especially at Anfield, and hopefully we'll be able to, to produce one of them, them special nights here. I'm Guy Clark, and this is Blood Red, as we relive the miracle of Anfield. The 7th of May 2019, a date etched into the hearts, minds and souls of every Liverpool supporter given the magnitude of the achievement against Barcelona. Yet before the comeback came the prequel. A year on from reaching the final in Kiev, Jurgen Klopp's side looked as though they'd fallen short of a second successive Champions League final after a damaging 3-0 away defeat to the Catalan side. Though the manager himself and many of the onlookers felt the score perhaps wasn't a true reflection of the red showing. Champions League now is like this. If you lose away, it's not a massive problem. can happen. 
as long as you score a goal, that's the problem tonight. We didn't score that goal, and um, so that makes our life now not easier, to be honest. But um, from my point of view, my boys gained a lot of respect again because for the, for the way they played, I'm so happy how they developed. And I had so much fun, really, in that game, but at the end, we lost it. That's now not really funny, but... Um, um, I'm long enough in the business too that I had to learn to accept things like this, and I do that obviously. Looking at Liverpool's performance in that game at the Camp Nou, was that he didn't deserve to lose three 0 but there's every chance they could have lost four or five 0 come the end. The feeling was disappointed for the players above anything else because they'd got so close. They were still behind in the Premier League. Manchester City were unrelenting. They got to this obviously massive game of the Champions League semi-final, and with that three 0 defeat, it did feel as though. That was kind of it. That was the end of the season. There wasn't, there was no way back from that. I mean, I know Barcelona had had that previous season against Roma where they'd frittered away a three nil, uh, three goal advantage, but they'd conceded a, an away goal in the home leg. People sometimes forget that. Uh, they'd, they'd beaten Roma 4 1. So Roma only had to win three nil to get through. And with that already happened to Barcelona, you kind of suspected, well, they've not conceded the away goal. They'll be very mindful of what happened the previous year. And there won't be a repeat. So, I think, yeah, there was that's, everybody that was leaving that ground in the first leg. Nobody was thinking, "Oh, Liverpool could turn this around." Even though, even though at the time, I remember writing a little thing in my little analysis piece saying, "There's no way Liverpool will give up though, because they've got this far. So why would they stop believing now?" Ian Doyle was there reporting for the Liverpool Echo, while Christian Walsh was one of those up in the gods watching on as Lionel Messi added the gloss for the Catalans. It was there live to watch Messi's uh, free kick and that was the sort of sole little bit of solace that I had walking away from, from the stadium was was kind of the fact that I knew I'd watched history and, and and seen something truly special from Messi. You know, Liverpool were the collateral damage in that, um, but but it was what it was. It was a very lonely, um, I mean, not lonely, there was about 12 of us, but there was, it was a very, you know, metaphorically lonely walk back to the uh to the to the next bar because it was it was just kind of Liverpool have had this fantastic season and um, they'd lost one league game all campaign uh, they they'd looked really good in Europe uh, fantastic results against uh, Bayern Munich and then obviously the, the disposed of of Porto and it just looked like they weren't going to win anything it looked like they were not going to somehow come out of the season with with anything tangible to 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 show for it. Six days on from the visit to the new Camp, despite an away win at Newcastle United to see Liverpool edge ahead once more in the title race, Man City had dealt a major blow to the Reds' title hopes as captain Vincent Kompany thundered in from long range to beat Leicester City at the Etihad, giving City pole position once more. As Barcelona came to town, Liverpool looked down and out. Did they have the fight to carry on? I wasn't going to go. I had the day booked off work because I was going to go for a bite to eat with my friends, uh, go for a few pints and then go to the game. I cancelled the day off work and I wasn't actually planning on going. Uh, and then I remembered that I actually had a ticket that I had to give to um, fellow Echo writer Kiva O'Neill. Uh, so I had no choice really. I had to meet her to give her the ticket. So I thought, well, I'm at Anfield now, so I might as well go in the ground. I just felt... I, I've never not gone to a game before, but I just it, the company goal broke me so much. But you know, eventually, sort of walking up to the grounds, you know, talking with Kiva, um, 
sort of couple of people that I knew from from the game. I was I was glad I decided to do it. And to be honest, that the, the thing that was in my mind is well, at least I'll get to see Lionel Messi, you know, up close and personal. I've seen him a couple of times um, when they, they, they played in 06, 07, but he wasn't the Messi of, of what he is today. So I thought, you know what, Liverpool will probably get a a, a creditable 2-1 win, you know, um, and I'll get to see Messi put on a masterclass, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, you know, it'll probably, it doesn't win me many supporter points, but I, I, I didn't believe at all, especially because there was no Salah and because there was no Firmino. Um, I just didn't really see how it was possible, to be honest. In the lead up to the game, I remember just like on the day I was off work and I'm laying on the couch and my mum was like, when are you going to start getting ready? And I was like, oh, well, now. I was like, I just don't feel like going. And she was like, you can't not go. Like, And I was like, I know I'm not going to not go. I'm obviously going to go. Um, but you kind of had this, I just had this feeling and I hardly ever get it because usually I'll have, you know, everything ready to go, lined up, and I'm out the door, can't wait to get to the match. But I just had a little bit of, I don't know, just something in me that was just telling me, oh, this is probably not going to end, are you really hoping it will? Um, but anyway, you know, you, you get gone, get over the stadium. I remember seeing, like, Barcelona fans draped in Catalonia flags and Barcelona scarves. And I remember seeing them thinking, wow, I wish I was you now, like, having that feeling. Because we almost had nothing to lose because we, we'd already almost lost it. But, like, in the hope of trying, you know, we were going to try and do something incredible, which which we done. But you, you did look at their fans and just think, wow, how lucky are you? And then, obviously, at the end of the game, you're looking at them thinking, wow, how unlucky and how, like, what them feelings must have been like having gone through similar thing with, with Roma the year before. You know, they must have just been devastated. While Kiva and Christian had made their way to the ground not prepared for what they'd taken, Ian Doyle was once again in situ in the press box, having witnessed memorable European nights against the likes of Chelsea and Borussia Dortmund. I don't think I'm being, you know, too outlandish to state I didn't think Liverpool had any chance of of getting the result that they needed. I think the the thing was, I think the fans thought the same thing as well. It's what I remember about the actual evening itself is that in the build-up to the game, bear in mind that Liverpool, as we say, were still in with the championship, but Manchester City had beaten Leicester with a late goal the night before. The crowd that turned up to Anfield was, it wasn't exactly raucous, and you know the atmosphere wasn't absolutely huge in the build-up in the in the you know the hour, half hour before the game. But with about ten minutes to go, five minutes to go, suddenly the, there was a little bit of a spark, and you sent something in the air which. As you say, I've been covering them for a long time, so you, you kind of get to recognise when things might be about to kick off, and in a good way, obviously. And then when Liverpool score that first goal, the whole atmosphere then builds from that. So I think scoring the first goal was very crucial. I also think, in some ways, there was no pressure on Liverpool at all, really, let's be honest. Nobody thought they were going to do it. Most of the players didn't either. Probably if you ask Jurgen Klopp, he probably didn't think they were going to do it as well. And Barcelona certainly didn't think they could. So there was that whole, let's just see what happens. You know, let's hope they can do something. Not so much not embarrass themselves, but let's hope that they can get a result that kind of shows the the tie in a a more fair light, given the fact that Liverpool didn't deserve to lose the first game 3-0. Also preparing to report on the game from a broadcast perspective was former Liverpool striker John Aldridge, who was alongside commentator Steve Hunter to offer his expert opinion as summariser for LFC TV. See the team sheet and obviously, you know, you, you look at the front three of Rigi, Shaqiri's playing, Mane, 
uh, and you think, Oof. you know, without the two, the, the two of the big guns, you're thinking going to be more difficult now. Um, and then obviously we get the, the the goal, you know, first goal, which you know come you know fairly earlyish, you know, and then we we showed some real good promise. They had a few chances uh, on the break, you know, and, and we had to be a defensive unit, you know, clued up. Um, and not giving too many chances. Whilst the first half had therefore started immaculately with Divock Origi giving the Reds the lead still in the stands, persisted the feeling of inevitable disappointment given the riches the visitors had at their disposal. I'd say I probably had more hope when Gerard scored against Milan than when Origi scores his first against Barcelona. I, I just thought it was a nice start, but you look at the, what's on the, the other side of, of the pitch with Messi, with Suarez, Rakitic, Coutinho, of course. And you're just not seeing how they don't score a goal. Every time Messi got the ball, it was just the most petrifying moments of your life. You were just watching him thinking, he's just phenomenal, a wizard, like the alien boy, really. You just can't, when he's on the ball, you're just thinking, what's he going to do? Um, and I think they had a good four or five chances throughout the game. Um where they could have really just wrapped it up. But obviously, Allison was just like a blockade um, from what I can remember. And he was obviously in that like that rare grey kiss, that one-off kiss, which was like made it almost better. Um, and then, yeah, they're just, you know, they're in the bright, the bright luminous kits as well, which I don't think helped them. Because um, when the full-time whistle blew, they couldn't get off the pitch quick enough and everyone could just see them for miles. They were, you know... They were shining like stars, but they hadn't, they hadn't shone that night. As the cover of darkness prepared to sweep across the Anfield night sky, one man who was set to shine was Jeannie Wijnaldum, being called from the bench at half-time to replace Andy Robertson, as Jurgen Klopp suffered a fresh setback, having to then alter his midfield plans. It was quite a funny one for Wijnaldum. I remember writing at the time. Imagine being him. He'd, he'd, that season he'd been almost ever-present in midfield. He'd played all the big games, playing in his favourite position. And then for the semi-final first leg, he's stuck up front because Firmino's injured. And then for the second game, he's on the bench. So he was probably, you know, he said it, didn't he? He said he was incredibly angry when he came on to start the second half. You know, that, that was an injury where it's, it, it's, it's funny in a way, isn't it? The reason Robertson got injured is because Luis Suarez was being a bit sly and caught him, which that was a running battle from the first game. And whether, whether, you know, Suarez meant to injure him and get him out of the game, I'm pretty sure he didn't. But you know what Suarez is like, Liverpool fans have known from when he, when he played for them. And for the reasons that they loved him, with the reason for those two games, they hated him because he was just being Luis Suarez. But that action backfired on Barcelona because by taking off Robertson, that gave Juan Alden the chance to to get those two goals in the in, in space of a minute. And you know, before the hour, it's, it's 3-0, the ties level. And then that's when... Barcelona are thinking, oh no, Roma again, and Liverpool are thinking, ah, we've been here before, we've 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 done Dortmund, you know, and and the supporters are going, well, we've we've had comebacks in the past, you know, AC AC Milan in the, in the 2005 final. So once the momentum starts going towards Liverpool's way, it was difficult to see a way back for Barcelona. You know, he came on, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's got the first goal. Goalkeeper could have done better, but it doesn't matter. You know, and and then and then you know at two 0 then then it's game one. We keep a clean sheet. We've got every chance of going into to extra time and even winning the game at two 0 You know, you could sense it. 
you know, and you look, I'm looking at the Barcelona players and they didn't fancy it. They, they were panicking. They brought they went deep. You could just sense it was in the air. You could just sense it for some reason, you know. You know, and then he pops up with a, with a, with a brilliant header. Great ball in. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was just, just amazing. I remember um, Phil Thompson talking about Istanbul and he said there was a moment uh, when we switched from hope to belief and the second goal was that moment. And obviously the equaliser. And you could see the looks on the, the Barcelona players' faces thinking, what's going on here? This wasn't supposed to happen. We're Barcelona. And they, they couldn't cope with it. They really couldn't cope with it. As George Sefton, John Aldridge and Ian Doyle explained, Jeannie Vinealdum's introduction had turned the game on its head. A 122 seconds where the impossible became plausible. Liverpool had wiped out Barcelona's 3-0 lead in the space of 56 miraculous minutes. From desolation to delirium. What still astounds me about it is, is the gap between them in terms of actual playing time. Because there is the VAR check. Um, and I don't actually celebrate the second goal as much as everybody else because I see the referee sort of listening to his ear. I see the tussle and I think this is going to get disallowed for some reason. I don't understand this. And then, you know, it's given. But because there was that lapse in time as they were listening to the VAR, what you don't realise, you know, until you watch it back, is that Liverpool scored by ref from kickoff again. And it's incredible. And if I didn't celebrate the second one, I certainly celebrated the third one. There's just arms flailing everywhere. We were pretty much lined up on the um, the 18 yard line of the Barcelona goal, um, and it was it was just I knew that one was fine. You know, I knew it was three nil. Um, no VAR this time. And then um, while the bedlam's going on, I get on my phone and I, I don't know how. But I managed to get signal, and all I'm doing, all me and the, the, the lads I go with on uh, our European trips away, uh, we're all in a group. You know, we've been together, you know, as a group for about ten years. Talk on Facebook all the time, and um, you know, everyone's still going absolutely mental. And I'm getting my phone out, and I'm just texting one of the lads, going, "Who's booking Madrid? Who's booking Madrid?" And I'm like half joking, but when one of them's come back and he's gone, I've got ten flights here for Bilbao to Manchester on the Monday. Should I book them? And I'm just like, book absolutely anything. We're going through, and that was the moment where I realised it was sort of, you know what, book the flights to Madrid. We're going to do this. Uh, there are one or two occasions, occasions when I've I've lost with touch wood. I like to think I've been professional, but at that point, I really was, you know, stepping up the couple of decibels. I was. I just couldn't believe what I was watching then. I really just could not believe it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. A genius moment like Trent Alexander-Arnold. Wow. I saw the ball flying in the net and had no clue who took the corner and who scored because I, that was too quick for me. Um, now I saw it back and it's just incredible. Smart. Two players only connected... In this moment, it was enough. That was, oh my God, how, how, that's, yeah, genius. Even though Wijnaldum's two-minute roof-raising cameo had set Anfield into a frenzy, Jaws were to drop even further, mouths to open wider. Three words that became synonymous with the Reds' greatest showing, corner taken quickly. As Steve Hunter uttered those words on LFC TV, alongside him was former Reds forward John Aldridge watching matters unfold. At the time, you know, the, the, the crowd's gone bananas, you know. It's on top of Barcelona. It's a 
proper buzz around and I've been in the cop when, when, when we were getting corner after corner and the cops the cops giving it loads it's sucking the ball in and I know you know so when I went out for a corner I've just I've just looked I've looked away for a sec and next minute as, as I've I've heard this like don't you get the not the roar but the before there's always a pour before a roar and I've seen this pour and as I turned around I've seen the ball floating in the back of net and I co- I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I had, to, I had to fixate on it for like five seconds to realise, you know, Origi had, had whipped it in. You know, again, great thinking by uh, by Trent and the ball boy. You know, great awareness. But it was a it was a it was a great finish. It really was a great finish because it taken from me. It's, it's it's a good technique to whip it in like that. I almost celebrated when Alden's header more than um, Origi's goal because that just. Origi's goal was just ridiculous and took you by complete surprise. Um, obviously, Bart massively caught napping, but almost we were as fans. You know, we, they caught out everyone. And then it was just like, well, we're doing this now. Now we're, you know, we've got so many minutes and we'll be through to the final, which you just, it's hard to like comprehend all them, them, them thoughts. I'd love to go back and just relive that second half because. It was almost like a blare of just, you know, euphoria. I would imagine there would be thousands of people in that stadium who did not see that goal or realise exactly what had happened until they got home later that night and watched the highlights because it was weird because it, the goal itself wasn't celebrated as much as one Alden's header for the third goal, but it was celebrated longer. There's kind of a disbelief in the celebration, so it, it went on for a little bit longer. And then, I mean, after that, you just saw... You know, Barcelona, they had completely gone by that point. They just, there was no way they were going to make a comeback from that. And it all came down to a, a great bit of uh, quick thinking by Trent. Divock Origi had grabbed the fourth and what would prove to be the goal that sent the Reds to Madrid. As Ian Doyle mentions, the starring role perhaps, though, went to Trent Alexander-Arnold. The scouser in the team, having grown up adoring the cop, it was now their time to admire him. After all, the day before the game, it was the 20-year-old who'd issued the rallying cry. Anything's possible, especially at Anfield, and hopefully we'll be able to, to produce one them them special nights here. This team is made up of a lot of players who understand it, but none more so than Trent, because, you know, he's grew up with being in love with Liverpool, as, you know, many fans have. Um, so I think it was just so important to have someone on the pitch. You, you know, he might not have experience in years of playing football, but he's had experience supporting and, you know, growing up watching Gerard and Carragher and them being his idols, and, you know, now he's little kid's idols, so it, it must just be unreal feeling for him. Whereas Gerard was all blood and thunder and, you know, he's sort of the main man and, you know, Olympia caught all eyes are on him. You know, it's almost fitting that Trent sort of coming through the back door and when nobody was really watching him, manages to put on one of the most famous goals in Liverpool history. I think what's forgotten about the Trent, the, the corner taken quickly um, to Origi is that, it's it's a brilliant ball. I mean, not only is it is, is it a bit of you know genius to, to spot the pass and, and decide to just go for it, but it's a really good ball which Origi, you know, he does well to finish it. To be fair, Origi, but he has to thread it through a fair few you know bodies. There's only a certain gap that he can do there that he can get through. I, I, I think everybody was kind of waiting for something to be ruled out because it's a goal that you just don't see. Um, you know, half the half the people didn't actually see it. I don't think Klopp saw it. I think he said that himself. I think I sort of glimpsed at it, but then I was like, well, he's going he's gonna to come back for the corner and then he's pointing away and everyone's celebrating and that's when you can finally celebrate. 
yeah, you know, it, it's strange that it's it's one of the most iconic goals um, in in Liverpool history, but but not everybody actually saw it. Whilst Trent gets the credit for the assist, as George Sefton notes, he wasn't the only person who played their part. What does the name Oakley Cannonier mean to in the history of Liverpool Football Club? He was the ball boy was, who had the cocum to throw that ball so quickly to Trent. You know, I mean, we watch it, I watch that little clip over and over again. When I get a spare mark five minutes, I watch it and... I still can't believe it. And the role Oakley can in the air played perhaps provides the evidence of the togetherness harvest under Jurgen Klopp's stewardship, as Ian Doyle explains. There is that connection with Trent being a local player. But I think it's the fact that Origi scores the two goals as well. And one of the one of the um, one of the goals is set up by Shakiri, who are both players who, if Firmino and Salah were fit and available, you know, those two wouldn't have been playing. It underlined that all the way through to that game and the, the final itself was a a team a team effort a squad effort where practically everybody involved at the club felt involved and I think that's what that makes a difference when it when everybody's involved you know the supporters felt involved certainly on that night certainly in previous games and in the final itself so that's the kind of thing that Jurgen Klopp's built at Liverpool he, he wants a, a you know it's a cliche isn't it he wants an LFC family but that's what he's got that's what he had at Mainz that's what he he had at Dortmund. And that's what he's got at Liverpool. And that, that, you know, you can have all the all the talent on the pitch that you want, but for those extra bits, for those times where you need more to get over the line, to produce something like beating Barcelona 4-0 when you're 3-0 down, you need everybody working together. You know, Klopp said this several times. And he said, you know, he said afterwards, we would never have won this game had there been nobody inside the stadium. The thing what made it really possible, and I said to the boys before the game, I, I'm, I, I don't think it's possible, but because it's you, I think we have a chance. We know that this club is the mix um, of atmosphere, emotion, desire and football quality. You cut off one, it doesn't work. We know that. I said it before. For me, this club, if I have to describe it, it's a big heart. And tonight, it was obviously like crazy. And last year, we really felt we have to go back. <laughs> that was it. After giving, we have to go back. We cannot let it stand like this. That's uh, that's not impo- That's not possible. And now we get another chance, and we, we will go for that, of course. But the boys did tonight. When I saw the boys after the game, and then I saw tears in their eyes and stuff like that. That's, and that, that's football, and they are professionals, and it's still like this. This club touches you like, like crazy. It's it's like you 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 feel much more than others. I don't know. That's in these moments. So it's really great. I, I love it. Klopp, the mastermind, Vinaldum, the catalyst. But it was Origi who was subsequently to become the cult hero for his heroics against Barcelona. And what he didn't know at the time was to follow in Madrid. Uh, first of all, me being a believer in Christian, I just always have hope, you know. And second of all, when you look at the team, you have mixture of talent and and just hard work, you know. And um, and the fans, we know that's going to be a special night tonight. So it wasn't going to be easy. We didn't have any guarantees. We had to be very brave, take a lot of risks. Uh, and in the end, uh, winning 4-0 is something that you still have to digest. But what we do realise is that it was a special night and that we're going to the final. While the final was to come, it was a night then as it still is now, puzzling to believe. Yet to those who were at Anfield, it's a night they'll remain enamoured with for all time. The night Anfield shook Barcelona to their very core. That one has to be the greatest. 
it has to be, without a shadow of a doubt. Boys don't know Barcelona, you know, the best player in the world, Suarez, you know, the players they've got going forward, keeping the clean sheet against them, you know, and having in the back of your mind the antics of Suarez uh, and the way Barcelona was at the 3-0 game in the back of your mind, you know, to put that to bed against them was, was truly brilliant. You know, it was it was it was a special special night. One that probably won't be beaten again. Then I was just like, right, I'm just stay until till we chuck us out, pretty much. And I know a lot of people did that. Um, you know, and I just I remembered when George Sefton played Imagine at the end. I'm thinking, right, they're all going to go home now. Nobody moved on the cop, and I just looked down, and there's Imagine by John Lennon, and the whole cop took it up. And it was a, the most magical moment ever. I've never like heard anything like that. Just and it was just you just can't describe it. It was Liverpool won the Champions League that night. Listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.